Tonight, the much-anticipated numbers are in and the U.S. economy shrinks again, now sparking debate as to whether or not we are in a recession. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Steve, it was not the news that we wanted. Of course, for the first time since the Great Recession, the U.S. economy has shrunk two consecutive quarters. There's a rule of thumb definition for recession, yeah. and, 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 and this is where we are. So joining us tonight, we get that it's not Monday, but we think that this is big enough news to bring in our chief investment officer, Andy Stout. Just to make sense of this, Andy, we're not we're not having you on today because we think the sky is falling, but this has been a big week of economic data, and we really want to get your take on it. When we have these numbers about the economy shrinking yet again, what is your take? Well, the question is, are we in a recession or are we not? Yeah, yeah time will tell. So, yes, we certainly have this rule of thumb recession with the economy shrinking 0.9%. By the way, that's the second quarter compared to the first quarter. And then they annualize it, which is basically multiplying it by four for rough math. Uh, in the first quarter, we shrank 1.6%. Then we shrank again 0.9%. So the definition, the rule of thumb definition has hit. But as uh, I'm sure many of you are aware, that's not the official definition of a recession. The uh, National Bureau of Economic Research, or NBER, is the arbiter of a recession. And they usually don't you know, date the start of a, a downturn really until after many months uh, after it's already began. Yeah, they look at a ton of data, right? There's the, yep. the, the economy is kind of much more complex than you can just look at two consecutive uh, quarters of, of shrinking GDP. At the same time, though, one of the numbers that we're getting in is that consumer spending is on the rise right now. So shrinking economy, yet we're spending more. How do we make sense of that? Yeah, well, what you can do, Amy, is, is what I like to do is I like to break GDP, or which is our gross domestic product, which, by the way, is a measure of our nation's total output. And when you think about GDP, you can break it down into different areas. I like to deconstruct it into what I call core GDP and non-core GDP. Core GDP focuses on uh, really spending, and it gives a better, uh, truer measure of, I'll call it private spending, if you will, so ex-government. So I'm looking at personal spending, looking at business spending, and looking at exports. When we look at those three together, core GDP was up 1.9%. Part of that was the 0.7 percentage point, uh, their contribution, I should say, uh, of personal spending. So core GDP was up 1.9% uh, this last quarter, and it was up 2% in the first quarter, by the way. Non-core GDP is what's dragging down uh, the numbers. So specifically, exports were the primary reason we shrank in the first quarter and business inventories were the primary reason we shrank in the in in the second quarter i i, I think this is a good opportunity uh andy to to just explain we're not red we're not blue we worry more about green and and this is going to be politicized by both parties at the expense of the the opposing political party we don't care we're, we're just looking for the data that comes in and and what really caught me off guard on this was so many experts were saying it wasn't going to be a strong positive gdp number coming out today but it was going to be a positive uh, gdp number and yet minus almost one percent is a pretty big departure from a positive number i mean how how can so many people be so off on the number that came out well, there's a lot of unknowns in this world right now today from an economic uh, perspective. And when you look at the 
big picture. I mean, we have uncertainty in Ukraine. We have still supply chain problems. Uh, there's a lot of issues, just uh, the supply chain, how it affects our imports and our exports. And that just has ripple effects everywhere. And as far as everybody being wrong, I mean, some people were more accurate than others. I mean, that the estimate of a, a positive 0.4% print, which is what economists were thinking on yeah. average, you know, there were some that were much closer to that negative 0.9 and some had like a positive 2%. They're really all over the board. And one of the big takeaways is that this is just the first estimate, Steve. There's going to be two more revisions to this. And it's it's very, very likely that the final data point will be much different from where it is currently. doesn't mean it'll be positive. I'm not saying that, but don't, I I don't expect it to remain at 0.9% negative. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are joined by our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, making sense of the latest numbers that are out, right? GDP, our nation's economy, shrunk for the second consecutive quarter. Are we in a recession? The timing of this is really interesting, too, Andy, because, of course, you had the Federal Reserve, right, announcing a three-quarters of a point interest rate hike yesterday. And in the press conference after that announcement, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell was asked, does he think we're in a recession? And he, he almost, like, balked at it. He was like... He kind of laughed almost like uh, that. That seems a little bit crazy. Here's why. Really a lot of strength in the labor market, that kind of thing. Want to get your take on where sort of he lands with this. I can certainly understand why he said that. I mean, the labor market's really strong. If you look at the number of payrolls that uh, have been added into the economy, when we say payrolls, we're talking about new jobs uh, by businesses. And you just look at last month as an example, in June, 372,000 jobs were added. In May, it was 384,000. March and April were both around three to 400,000. January is 500,000 and change, and, and February is like 700,000 change. These are big numbers. These are really big positive numbers. I'm not saying those are going to continue, but when you have the strength of the labor market like that, it's really hard to for many economists to think we're in a recession when the job market's that strong. I mean, you can look at a, a lot of other indicators uh, that the NBER or the National Bureau of Economic Research looks at. Again, the NBER is the uh, official government body that determines if we're in a recession. They don't look at, I mean, they look at tons of things. I mean, they obviously would consider GDP to some degree, but they're going to break it down into a more granular level. They're looking at industrial production. They're looking at the number of employed people. They're looking at payrolls. They're looking at total uh, manufacturing sales, personal income, personal spending. And when you look at these uh, indicators uh, on balance, they're pretty positive, actually, you know, outside of some manufacturing data and a, a few other minor blips here and there, the data points on the screen are they're actually green. They're not red. Red would be going in the wrong direction. Green's going in the right direction. So that's why a lot of economists, including Chair Powell, uh, thinks that a recession is, you know, not currently the state that we're in right now. Well, and I, I think markets really shrugged it off. When that news came out at 8.30 this morning, I, I thought markets were going to open down, you know, hundreds and hundreds of points, yet that didn't really happen. Markets kind of shrugged uh, shrugged it off, and, and I, I don't think the average person really feels like there's a recession. I, I, I mean, when I was growing up, my dad was out of work for 18 months during a recession. You know, that in 2008, 2009, the world was crashing. That was a recession. It just doesn't feel like it right now. I, I you know, I, I don't, can you even have a recession with strong employment like we've got now. It, it, it doesn't feel that way to me, and I'm not sure it even matters. Does it matter if we're in a recession right now? 
Well, I mean, it does matter for a few things when we think about the uh, second order decisions made by policymakers. For example, if there is this pressure on GDP, if the, we do are in a recession, then the policymakers we're talking want to talk about the Federal Reserve here. You know, that's where they would look to, you know, cut interest rates to keep the economy growing and to essentially uh, mitigate any sort of economic weakness. So when the markets see this, I mean, it's kind of like good news and bad news. Yeah. Uh, the bad news is it showed negative GDP. The good news is, oh, that might mean the Fed doesn't raise rates as quickly as they suggest, or they might cut rates you know, sometime next year sooner than what is being uh, priced in right now. So when we think about it from that perspective, that's that's one of the you know ways you have to analyze it. So there's certainly many, many things going on here. But then I think about the next step. What's that mean for the Federal Reserve? What are yeah. they going to do? What's that do to the economy in a year from now? I don't really care too, too much about what happened three months ago. I care more about what's going to happen the next six months, the next 12 months. Past is the past. The, the yeah. future is what's going to affect investment prices going forward from today onward. Well, and that, that's what that's what we're buying is not where we are today, where we may be tomorrow. And, and that's why Bank of America came out with, with some statements yesterday, uh, basically saying their opinion is uh, the Fed is going to have to start reducing interest rates sometime in 2023. I, I, you know, we'll find out, you know, if that's correct or not. But if the Fed reduces rates, I mean, that that would be good for bonds, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And if you look at where you know, the markets are trading today, you're seeing interest rates come down because of what you just said yeah. uh, on the expectation that the Fed might have to reduce interest rates or cut rates uh, next year. And that's what's priced into the market right now. And we can see where the market expects the what's called the Fed funds rate, which is the overnight rate that banks can lend to each other. Uh, and that's what the Fed controls. And that has a ripple effect to the whole economy, by the way. It's not that weird because the Fed funds rate, by the way, that affects you, Steve, and you, Amy, and everyone out there because Banks' interest rates are based on that. Think of a prime rate, which is the the rate that banks lend to their best customers. It's defined mathematically as the Fed funds rate plus three percentage points. So if the Fed is raising their rates, it's affecting your cost of borrowing on your home and your autos. And when we look at what's being priced into the market for 2023, uh, there are now... Uh, rate cuts uh, totaling 0.5% priced into the market as of right now. Andy, I appreciate very much your perspective because I think a lot of people opening newspapers, getting online today to headlines about, you know, two consecutive quarters of, of GDP contraction uh, will be scared. And I think uh, we'll wonder, what should I do? So what is your advice to long-term investors right now? Should they do anything? Well, honestly, no. I mean, we've we may or may not be in a recession. Time will tell on this. The NBER will eventually say whether or not we're in a recession right now. But I can pretty much, I mean, I, I'm, compliance doesn't like me to ever guarantee anything, uh, but we'll eventually be in a recession at some point in time, right? I mean, that's a, it's normal. We've had 17 recessions over the past 100 years. It's not a rare occurrence by any stretch of the imagination. So when we think about what we should be doing, you know, it's really focusing on the long run, using any sort of financial plans that you might have to guide you during uncertain times like this. And remember, we've been through many recessions and the U.S. has always always overcome every single one of them. 
Here's a Simply Money point. Don't let scary economic headlines or data derail you from your long-term financial plan. Of course, great perspective, as always, from Andy Stout. Coming up, interest rate hikes are slowing down the economy. How should you react as it relates to maybe other financial issues like debt and buying a new house? We've got some steps you can take next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. If you can't listen to our show every night, well, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead at 643, we're going to look at some common mistakes that a lot of you make with your IRAs so you don't fall in that same trap. Big news in the airline industry today, Steve. So JetBlue is buying Spirit Airlines for, you know, little less than $4 billion. As far as the impact here, though, it's kind of the maybe the bummer that they're not part of uh, Frontier. Yeah, Frontier was trying to buy Spirit, and and um, they were having a hard time with it. Frontier does fly out of CVG, and, and yeah. I've flown Frontier before. It's, you know, another discount airline. Um, and they were offering a lot of money but not all cash. They were including stock in the deal. And Spirit shareholders were saying, ah, show me the money. Yeah. And so here comes in JetBlue, and JetBlue is making an all-cash deal for about a billion dollars more. I mean, this is serious, serious money. Here's the thing, though. Don't, you know, it might might not affect us locally. I was kind of hoping the Frontier deal would go through because that would expand the number of routes that Frontier flies to. Um, so, you know, this is kind of an East Coast, East Coast deal. I'm not sure it's going to happen, though, Amy because the the Justice Department uh, is not crazy about any monopoly. And Mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact, they're already suing JetBlue over some deal they put together with uh, American Airlines. So, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll keep reporting on this because it may not, it's not a done deal. It may not happen. Who knows? Frontier may work their way back into the picture. I don't know. I I just know the announcement today is not the final announcement word we're going to hear about this. Yes. Stay tuned. Okay. So yesterday, of course, we had the news that the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, raised interest rates yet again. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, but what does that mean to me? Well, it actually can mean a lot of things depending on the kinds of debt that you have or if you were planning on buying a house. So let's dig into that, um, especially with debt. If anyone carries credit card debt, this is... um, This could have a huge impact on you. Yeah, if you're carrying big balances, if you thought 17% credit card interest was crazy, wait wait till they adjust that because they will. That'll look good. Oh, man. it's uh, Yeah, if you can get under 20% interest on a credit card, uh, I think you're going to be kind of lucky as as time goes on. But, you know, that's one more argument, and we make it all the time, Amy. Don't carry a balance on your credit cards. If you have a balance... Have a plan to get rid of it. And if you know it's going to take you six months or a year to get that balance down to zero, maybe even look at one of those 0% transfer cards to buy you the time. But don't do that as your your end game. Do that as the holding pattern while you're addressing getting rid of your credit card debt. You know, and I think we get this question very often, whether it's ask the advisor or inquirer column, but you know, a lot of people saying, okay, you're telling me that I need to pay down debt, but then do I not contribute to my 401k? I don't think these things have to be mutually exclusive. Now you, you definitely want to prioritize paying down that debt, but at the same time, you don't want to completely quit contributing to your 401k because if there's a company match, 
then you're missing out on that free money. You got to get free money. Which is just yeah. downright yeah. stupid. You know, you've got to at least get the company matched. So you can simultaneously do both at the same time. And hey, maybe it means that for a little while, you have to cut back on some other things. I, I get it. I know that stinks, but we're paying more for everything right now. I think there's a lot of people in that boat of we're going to go out to eat less or we're, you know, maybe going to travel a little bit less or we're going to drive instead of fly, whatever yeah. that looks like. These are the decisions that you might find yourself having to make right now if you're carrying a balance on that credit card because you're going to super need to prioritize paying down that debt. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about bonds because it, this plays into rising interest rates. And, I, you know, we always talk about stocks. Everybody pays attention to what, what the market is doing. Bonds took a beating earlier this year because bonds drop in value when interest rates go up. Guess what? Interest rates have been going up. They're not going to go up forever. And most people have some of their money invested in bonds, either in their IRAs or 401ks. Um, and just because they're getting killed doesn't mean they're a bad investment. Like anything else, they have up periods and they have down periods. And at some point, and Bank of America is saying, we, we just talked about this, Bank of America is saying the Fed is probably going to have to start dropping interest rates, reducing interest rates next year. If that's the case, bonds move along, you know, along with interest rates. Interest rates go up, you lose money in bonds. Interest rates go down, you make money in bonds over and above the interest. So, you know, I, I think the longer term investors should, you know, take a hard look again at, at bonds and, and maybe reconsider your decision if you thought that was a bad place to have money. You may see a rebound over the course of the next year if Bank of America is correct. You know who I really feel bad for as these exactly. interest rates continue to go up? First time home buyers. Right. I mean, there's so many horror stories you about imagine? what yeah. <laughs> about what happened right during the pandemic. No inventory. Everybody's trying to buy houses. So maybe you're approved for a two hundred and twenty five thousand dollar house. You find a great house. You make an offer on it. And all of a sudden that house ends up selling for two hundred and seventy five thousand yeah, yeah. dollars. Right. And you get outbid and you get outbid. So you sit it out for a while. Right. And you say, OK, I'm going to wait for things to normalize. Well, as one of the things I think that it's taken for the real estate market to normalize is interest rates going up, but now they're at a place where uh, you'd be paying significantly more on that monthly yeah. payment in interest at this yeah. point. And so I think now a lot of people find themselves on the sidelines yet again because they, they can't afford the house they wanted. You know, a year ago, you might have been able to get a 30-year mortgage at around 3%. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually saw close to 6% recently. It settled mm -hmm. down. I, I think we're looking at five, five and a half. Um, if you're waiting to see them go back down to 3%, I'm not sure you should be holding your breath. I you, think you the know? pain is going to get worse. Be yeah. It will get better, but I think it could get worse before it gets better, right? So for those people who are saying, I'm way yeah. out to the fall or maybe the winter, I don't know. No, and the, the, we're back to kind of normal rates. I mean, a 30-year mortgage at five, five and a quarter percent, five and a half percent, that, that's a little more, you know, realistic historically. Yeah. So, you know, if, you, if you're looking at houses and you need to make a change or you need to buy your first house and you're renting in the meantime, I'm not, I'm not sure you can expect rates to come back down for mortgages and you might just have to get comfortable with the fact that hey here's the new equation and i can't buy quite as expensive of a house and hope that the the pricing of real estate starts to come down which yeah. it may we'll see and honestly i i don't know how the math of it would work but rather than paying fifty thousand dollars more for the asking price which you might have done a while ago yeah. maybe paying a little more in interest and then refinancing as soon as rates come down might also be an option for you but i think the key here steve is to understand that 
while the Federal Reserve, it might seem like they're operating in this bubble that affects the economy, but not your personal economy, it can actually very much affect you. Here's the Simply Money point. Interest rate hikes are slowing down the economy. Your best course of action, pay down high interest debt and then save more so that you're in the market when the upswing happens. Inflation will just not drop. Of course, that's what the Fed's trying to do. If you're pulling your hair out trying to find ways to save, we've got some tips for you. Next, you're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Inflation. The longer it sticks around, the more you start to see it creeping into your daily life. Every time you go to the grocery store, every time you pay a bill or fill up at the gas pump. Joining us tonight is Sarah Foster. She is an analyst with Bankrate.com with some interesting insights into, first of all, how inflation is truly impacting you and what you can do about it. You know, Sarah, we, we have these sort of overlying inflation rates, right? They change month to month, 8%, somewhere around there. Um, yet it really does affect everyone differently depending on what you actually consume. Someone's personal inflation rate, which we, as we like to call it, I think this is a really important topic to zoom in on because say you're someone who works remotely, maybe you uh, don't really drive that much or at all, you might not necessarily be impacted by those astronomical increases that we've seen in gasoline, for example. Uh, But what's really remarkable about this inflation and what I think is probably so different from previous periods of inflation that we've at least experienced within the past several decades is that every kind of consumer staple, particularly groceries, are getting more expensive. So you might not really be able to obviously skip dinner. Uh, You might not be able to skip any kind of meal here or find substitutions. And so I think no matter kind of where you live, how much money you make, uh, regardless of your personal inflation rate, this is something that's impacting so many Americans. And I think that's why we saw three and four and a recent bank rate survey mentioned that inflation is negatively impacting their finances. You know, Sarah, when we first started talking about inflation, that was probably late last summer, uh, we were starting to see it pop up in different places where we were spending money. Yet I would say that probably overall, most of us, most consumers were not changing our habits. Well, this has gone on for so long and the rates have continued to climb to the point where we can't ignore it. Uh, you know, it's it's forcing a lot of people to make decisions. So as we look at how we are kind of changing our patterns of behavior What can maybe we do proactively to try to get ahead of this or to try to be able to make ends meet? I think this is a really important issue here, especially as we talk about how hard it is to hide from inflation right now. It just it really underscores the importance of taking those steps. Yeah, it's everywhere. What I would say is that for Americans who are hoping to at least maybe mitigate the impact that they feel from inflation, The big picture, and it's a piece of good news about the economy, really, which we all uh, need right now, I think, is that the job market is still historically strong. We have an unemployment rate that's pretty close to a near half-century low. We have about uh, two job openings for every unemployed worker. And so what I think that's giving so many where they might not have had in the past during high periods of inflation is this leverage to hopefully work with your employer or to at least negotiate for a raise or find a little bit better of a position out there. 
that could hopefully blunt the blow of inflation and you know higher pay right now is really what could offset that feeling of, of essentially feeling like you are taking a pay cut right now as you've seen pretty much everything across the board get more expensive uh, but those everyday kind of financial steps, while they are harder right now to help safeguard us against inflation, I think they're still more important than ever. And I think the best kind of piece of advice would be making sure that you're taking advantage of discounts at retailers. Uh, what's been really interesting is that we've seen lots of those big box stores like Target and Walmart, for example, uh, they've really uh, they've tried to get ahead of these major uh, foreseen supply shortages by stockpiling on some of their inventory. Yeah. So right now they have kind of a surplus, and so that's led them to introduce some discounts that they might not have offered even a few months ago. So I think staying on top of those everyday little ways that you can save money, even if it's just a few dollars, that can all add up in the end when inflation right now is uh, at a 40-year high and projected to stay that way for at least a few more months. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are joined by Sarah Foster from Bankrate.com with some interesting insights into inflation, how it's impacting you right now and what you can do about it. You know, Sarah, we, t- we talked about the fact that when it first started, we didn't really have to change anything, but now it's getting to the point where we are all kind of proactively looking at ways that we can change our habits. I know for a lot of people, the word budget is an ugly four-letter word, yet I think a lot of people find themselves in a place now where they are having to start put things down on start putting things down on paper and figuring out, okay, where is the money going? Because to your point earlier, you can't not eat. You can't not fill up your gas tank. You can't not pay the mortgage or the rent. What's very remarkable about this inflation is that we've seen in bank rate surveys that some of these uh, price pressures have led Americans to either cut back on spending or even dip into their savings accounts. And we've also found, which I thought was very eye-opening in a a separate bank rate poll, we found that 41% of people who took on a side hustle said that they did it to bolster their income. And so I think this is really putting so many Americans in a cash-strapped position where it's kind of like a break glass in case of emergency situation where they're trying to figure out ways to make ends meet at a time when inflation is so high. And I think kind of relating to what we were talking about earlier, especially in regards to our personal inflation rates, uh, this could be a really good time to maybe look back at anything that you purchased in the last few months. Maybe you can find those low-hanging fruit items that are particularly inflated. I think a really good example here right now where eggs are up about 32% from a year ago, chicken prices are up about 17% from a year ago, which is the biggest increase on record ever for this item. And so maybe it's a good time to switch out chicken for other kinds of beef products, which for example, you know, beef was a a little bit uh, of a better uh, picture here than chicken, but uh, so it, it's hard to kind of give those substitution advices just because of what we were talking about all along, which is even if, you know, meats, for example, are up about 12% overall, which is slightly less than chicken, it's still pretty inflated compared to where we were uh, several years ago, if not even just last year. So it's really important to just look at your finances and any kind of dollar amount that you can free up is going to make a big difference. But I mean, obviously, and we want to stress here just how painful inflation can be. And we've really noticed that in uh, every survey that we've run at Bankrate, as well as interviews with other Americans. 
You know, Sarah, I think you make a great point about the fact that we have to just pay attention to things that we weren't paying attention to before, right? Like if if chicken is high priced, where else are we going to go? But you know, my my ultimate concern is that when things become so much more expensive and it's almost everything you're purchasing these days, that people will quit saving. So what is your advice to those who maybe are a little strapped right now and are thinking about, okay, where I'm going to let go is I'm not going to save as much. I'm not going to put anything in my 401k. This is obviously a major concern, especially when you think about how hopefully, and I'm not, well, it might not seem like this right now, we will eventually, according to economists, come to a situation where inflation is leveling off. This is kind of a near-term kind of crisis here. It's not as necessarily as longer form as, you know, preparing for retirement, which is going to have to last you for several decades. In, in addition to, you know, living through experiences like maybe what we're experiencing right now, I think what's really important to remember is that high inflation, or at least periods of high inflation, do happen throughout history even if we don't see them repeat kind of the way that they have been right now. And so what I think is really important is to just reevaluate maybe even those items that, you know, you can cut out of your budget, uh, such as those discretionary expenses. Maybe it's a time to maybe second guess or second uh, reconsider your vacation, especially considering how inflated airline prices are right now. And finding a different kind of alternative, I think, you know, looking at those big ticket uh, purchases, those more expensive ones, I think, can really make a big difference to hopefully free up some cash that you could still contribute to your broader financial goals, especially when it comes to saving for retirement and preparing for emergencies, which is also a very important thing to be thinking about right now, especially as economists are kind of throwing out this also very feared word, which is recession. Absolutely. You know, I think you make a great point that this too shall pass. It doesn't feel like it when we're in the midst of it. Um, but making sure that you're making decisions right now that aren't going to impact you negatively in the long term, like stopping savings. Maybe you, you do cut out those vacations or, or something else that uh, you can, you know, get rid of in order to make sure that you are still saving. Great advice, as always, from Sarah Foster from Bankrate. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Are workers better off right now that you have a hybrid work schedule? We've got some new data. We'll tell you what it suggests. You might want to share it with your boss. That's straight ahead. You know, see, when we talk about retirement, there's actually different tools that we all have that we can use, right? We talk about many of these on the show all the time. One of those is an IRA. Use it well, and it can be a very effective tool. If you don't use it well, though, it can end up costing you, in some cases, a a big chunk of change when it comes to your taxes. Well, I mean, one of the big advantages is, you know, hopefully um, tax deductibility, depending on your tax bracket. But, you know, the tax deferral is just a phenomenal tool to compound growth within any investment. And, uh, you know, that's one of the major features of an IRA. But, Amy, everybody thinks about the saving, how to accumulate money. The second half of life in retirement is just as important as the accumulation phase. When you retire, one of the big decisions you make is, okay, I need to start living on all of this money that I've saved up over the years. I need to figure out the most advantageous way of drawing money out of investments. And in an IRA, that's when the tax deferral uh, ends. I, I, I mean, when you start taking money out, it is taxable income. And that becomes a very important aspect of 
how much you draw and how much you're actually going to see in your pocket after Uncle Sam reaches in. Yeah, which is why I use the word all the time, strategy, yeah. because you, you really have to have a strategy. And I think you make a great point, too. For many of us, we spend decades in that whole saving phase, and that's all we're thinking about. How much can we put aside, especially when you get closer to retirement? Then all of a sudden, you kind of cross over this bridge into retirement. You flip the switch, and now you're spending down that money. You have to have a strategy in place for how you're going to do that. One of those can be a, a Roth conversion, right? You're converting... Sure all or some of that money into a Roth, meaning uh, you're paying taxes on it now. Um, but there's some pros and cons to that as well. Yeah, there's no free lunch. If you're going to convert a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA and everybody you know, knows that, okay, when I take money out of a Roth, there's no taxes due. No, it's not a freebie because when you convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth, that's when you pay tax. You pay tax on the amount you convert. Event. Yes. Exactly. So you've got to, you know, first of all, talk to your tax advisor, run the numbers before you make any decisions. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to convert all of your IRA into a Roth. You don't have to convert any of it. But here's where the advantages come in on a Roth conversion, Amy. Um, it, let's just say your adjusted gross income, your married file jointly is $60,000. You're in a 12% tax bracket. You bump up to a 22% tax bracket when you hit 80000 So you can go ahead and take 20000 of additional income to bump you from 60 to 80, still pay 12% tax, and you can do that by converting 20000 from your traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. Yeah, you pay 12% tax on that amount, but now it's in your Roth. It comes out tax-free as long as it's been in there five years, and there's no RMD. There's no required minimum distribution on a Roth, so you got that out of the RMD phase of income. I think a couple things just to keep in mind if you're thinking about this conversion is just making sure um, that you think you're going to be in a higher uh, tax bracket when you get into retirement, right? That's where it makes sense. And then also, do you have the money on the sidelines somewhere where you can pay those taxes, right? It, it would really yeah. stink to pull the money out of that IRA to pay the taxes with, then you're investing uh, less money invested at that point. Another thing um, that's interesting about IRAs, and of course, right, these government vehicles for saving, there are all kinds of limits about these yeah. things, how much you can put in every year, of course, but then also how much you can make in order to put it into to a Roth IRA. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to understand these income limits or that can bite you. It can, and, and it doesn't happen often, but I, I've seen it happen. You know, rule of thumb is if the government gives you a tax break on anything, there are going to be some strings attached. I mean, yes. that's that's Look all there is closely. to it. And if you don't know what those limits are, you can wind up paying some pretty significant penalties. Here, here's the way I've seen it in Roth IRAs, and, and you'd have to make a pretty good dollar. We're talking north of two hundred grand, but you know, you put money in a Roth and find out, oh, I made too much money last year, and I wasn't eligible to put that money in the Roth. But I did it. What happens now? You can unwind these. OK, yeah. you can fix them. Yeah, you're going to have to pay a little bit of a penalty to unwind them. But you can get back on the good side of the uh, of the IRS. The whole key is you've got to watch your income. So if you make too much money to put money in a Roth, you, you can't put money in a Roth. That's the bottom line. And if you did, you, you got to start talking to your tax advisor about how to fix it. Another mistake that you can make, an indirect rollover, again, this is pretty rare, but this is if you're rolling money out of an IRA into something else and your custodian, right, TD Ameritrade, whatever it is, cuts you a check with your name on it. You have 60 days to get that money into another retirement account or 
Yeah. It becomes a, t- a taxable event, right? It's an indirect rollover um, or it, it becomes um, the IRS taxes you for it. Oh, they, the the IRS will catch that if it's not within 60 days. And, and it's a yeah, distribution. Yes. It's a distribution. And I'll tell you what, most of the time they take 20 percent tax withholding from that distribution. And that means you don't have the full amount to put in within 60 days unless you go ahead and take that 20 percent that was withheld out of your own savings account, add that in so that you roll over the entire amount, even though some already went to the government. Here's a simply money point. If you're worried you're going to make big mistakes with your IRA, maybe hire a qualified financial advisor or firm that has a specialty and tax laws that can help you figure all of this out. Coming up, are companies better off letting you have a hybrid work schedule? There's some new data that just came out. We're going to tell you what it shows next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. The debate, I feel like it never ends now, Steve. I mean, the concept of remote work, of hybrid work was so crazy just a few years ago. I remember, it was probably five years ago, talking to another parent at my kid's elementary school and she said, I work from home. Yeah. And it was like, what? How can like, you do that? Yeah, that's yeah. a thing. Oh, my company's based in New York, but I work from home in Northern. And it was, it was the strangest concept to me. Well, post pandemic, most of us have been exposed, at least maybe for a little while, to the concept of working from home or part of the time in the office, part of the time being at home. And there's a lot of debate out there, companies versus employees. Who's how, if you're more productive, what makes the most sense? And there's some new research out there. Well, you, you know, I, we've got a lot of stories, a lot of anecdotal evidence, but I haven't seen hardly any studies. And we've got a hardcore, you know, let's put this in numbers, uh, a, a, an actual study with numbers. And, and yeah, it's a Shanghai-based travel booking website that the study was done with, but they studied 1,612 software engineers. This is not a small sample size. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the first conclusion, attrition rates. How much turnover? 35% lower work from home versus commuting. That's a big difference. So you might say, okay, well, of course, right? More people are going to stick around because they love this, but are they performing, right? Are yeah. they getting less out of them? Well, it was actually interesting because that survey showed that they, that most people actually maybe worked a little bit less each day from home, but made it up either at night or on the weekends, actually working extra during yeah. that time. So they learned that actually job performance didn't suffer. Um, self-assessed worker productivity actually went up when people were working from home rather than from the office. Yeah, and, 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 you know, if productivity's up, the company's got a hard, you know, they, they would have a real hard time saying, yeah, but I want you in the office anyway. I, yeah. I mean, productivity is everything, and it's gotten to the point, this is so ingrained now in many workers that I, I've talked to a number of workers that have great jobs, good pay, um, and, and they're telling their bosses, if you're going to make me go back to the office, I'm out of here. I'm going to start looking. Well, I think it's easy for people to look at this study and say, well, a lot of this is based on self-assessment. And of course, you're going to say you're more productive when working from home. But keep in mind, there were software engineers involved in this. And they actually produced 8% more lines of code uh, than the people who are working in the office. I mean, literally, it's in black and white in front of them that they were more productive. And the argument still remains out there, of course, that people working together um, are able to bounce ideas off of each other and you sort of get the spark of 
ideas that comes from that. I think, Steve, this is a debate that will continue to rage on. We will certainly keep an eye on it. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.